At this point, you may be asking yourself, what does being a waiter at a restaurant have to do with writing a script? Well, Juan Poppers was unlike any other restaurant you'd ever been in. Well, I'll let Steve tell you. So the idea is I see a Juan Popper at a used wagon lot in this location. And then when the when automobiles were brought up, when they were you know popularized, the industry fell apart. And so he decided to open a restaurant. Of course, anybody who thinks that I'm giving you actual history, please. <laughs> education is a wonderful thing and you have to understand the difference between sarcasm, satire, and education. Uh, this was just the story we were telling everybody. It's it's the format of the restaurant. That's so, what I loved about the restaurant though. It had a backstory. Yeah, it did. And the idea was that all of his salespeople became waiters. So when you walked in, we were there to wheel and deal a meal. So we had to be these fast talking salesmen and that was all part of the gag. It was part of the fun. Everybody knew that supposedly. So we had to dress up in kind of Western outfits, not like cowboy type of things, but like dude type, dude ranch type of things. And I was originally hired to be a seating host. Uh, I had applied for a job at Universal to drive the tour trains because I actually had experience driving tour trains in St. Augustine. And there were, there was like two positions open for tour train driver when I went down there. And I was with the group that had to be, you know, we had to go through an orientation and submit our applications. And then the person who was in charge of the employment office casually mentioned that there's a rest, our restaurant is looking for somebody to be a seating host, um, but that's not why we're here. So after I submitted everything, when I got back to the place I was staying at, I called the person back and I said, you know, I'm interested in that. I'll take any job. And so another situation where I went in and I was interviewed by the manager and they hired me on the spot. So our job was to entertain the customers. We were to just have fun with them. And we would do almost anything, almost anything. And I mean, we had attitude. Uh, we had one waiter who, you know, when he would come over to the table, he would say, um, you know, this is going to be a great experience for you, but I have to under, I have to know, first of all, do you want the 5% tip experience, the 10% tip experience, or the 15% tip experience? <laughs> um, I would actually go out to people and I would say, everybody here, please understand, this is entertainment value. You are here for the entertainment. The food is number two. And I mean that in every possible interpretation. <laughs> so, well, we could do that. We could dance on the tables, which we did. You did. Um I remember one time, uh, one of our, our big featured entrees were these huge, huge slabs of ribs. And we served them on pewter plates, so they were heavy. And I went into one section, um, there was a party of six and all of them ordered the ribs. And I had these things stacked up on a tray and we were not allowed to rest the trays on our shoulders. We had to lift those trays up off the air. And so I came in and for the only time in my entire life as a waiter, I dropped a tray. It was the only time I ever did it. And six servings of ribs plus mashed potatoes and all the side orders and the sides of barbecue sauce fell right on the carpet, just in a huge stack. Everybody in this entire section, of course, freezes and looks at me. I immediately go into a, um, a flamenco dance. <laughs> I become suddenly this Spanish dancer and I'm literally 
with my feet on my heels, dancing around, dancing around, holding my hand up in the air like this is intentional. Then I finished with a big bow. And I went, thank you very much. And I ran off. Huge applause from everybody. Then, of course, I had to go to the busboy and I had to say, okay, um, I did something out there you're going to hate me for, but I'm going to tip you out really well tonight. It was it was the kind of job where you really could do no wrong. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Now, if somebody came in just for dinner, I wasn't going to screw around with them. Right, like, right. You had to read the room. But I had so many stories of um, interchanges that I had with people, um, which were just, they were just a, a, a lot of fun. Um because people came in there for fun and we made good money because of that. So, yeah. um, and people talk about actors starting out as waiters and waitresses and all that. But the point of it is, if you want to learn about people, that's probably one of the best training grounds. Yeah. It, and it especially truly is. when you have a job like you did, you know. And, and again, I didn't realize that either it was, you know, I, I came equipped with certain abilities, which were enhanced in these environments that helped me later on. Uh, one of them being is that you have to, first of all, instantly assess the attitude of your customers. And secondly, you have to think quick because if they're going to engage you with humor, you have to be able to engage back, but not to the point that you are insulting them or condescending to them. You have to know your limits, but you have to think fast and you're basically in performance mode. And uh, improvisation. Well, that's the other thing I was about to say. A lot of my acting training was improvisation, which I now um, have been a guest lecturer in many classes talking about what it's like to go into a studio office and pitch an idea for a series. And the advice I give all writers, as I say, take improvisation classes, not because you're going to be an actor, but because you will be able to handle that room with ease if you know how to do improvisation. It was one of the most important skills I brought out here with me, was that ability. It is probably the best thing to learn how to think on your feet. Yeah, you have to. You have to learn to, and you know, another attitude of it is also, it's a military attitude. It's, you know, you, you adjust, you adapt, and you overcome. But it's an instant thing. You have to do it immediately. So when I was at Wampoppers, there, uh, there was another guy who had been working there before I showed up, he had already left. And his name was Bert Pearl. And I'd heard about Bert because he was a legend. He was apparently so quick-witted and so hysterical. And then one day the word got out that Bert Pearl was returning. <laughs> he was coming back. He'd been working as a producer's assistant actually, but he was coming back to Wapoppers. And everybody was like, oh, Bert's coming back. Bert's coming back. And the people man, were the legend. The legend. And people were saying to me, we can't wait to see this. Oh, who's going to be the king of comedy here? You're going to meet your match now. That's literally what people were telling me. So Bird apparently had been hearing the same thing. So the first day he showed up, we met. And we chatted. And we said, we're going to have some drinks after work? Sure. So he and I went over to Victoria Station, the other restaurant at the top of the hill, and we sat there and had drinks and suddenly best friends were born. We just so in sync with each other, really enjoyed each other's custom uh, um, company. And we had a lot of similarities in how we approach things. So we basically, all these people who are waiting to see us fight it out for the top, suddenly we turned on them. So the two of us as a combined group 
Um, and we traveled together. We did all sorts of things together. Now that's, um, that is an important, extremely important part of my story because the second part, so put a pin in that for a second. The second part is that I'd been taking acting classes. Every actor has to take act. Even, you know, it may surprise people, but even the most successful professional actors still take acting classes because they want to hone their craft. They always want to do that. So I was taking classes and I was meeting casting directors. Uh, back then, this was a new thing. It's very common now, but casting directors would come in and actually see your scenes and give you input at the studio. It's like I said, it's a common thing now. There's some controversy around it because technically you're paying the casting director to do work that they're being paid to the by the studio to do. But during the process of this, um, even though during this interview, I've been talking about myself because you've been asking me those questions, I'm more interested in other people. So I'm, I'm really bad at selling myself, but I'm really good at at asking people about them. I'm interested in other people's stories. So these casting directors, um, when I would talk to them, I wasn't trying to sell myself so their walls weren't going up. Every casting director in town has to deal with this. Every actor wants them to, you know, wants to get into their office. So you have to put up walls. But I wasn't throwing anything at the walls. I was just like, what's your job like? And so a lot of them got to know me fairly well. And I, found out that in our discussions, one of the things that casting directors had to deal with is that people were coming in with the same material. At that time, it was Neil Simon play. So almost everything was Neil Simon. Mm. And I remember one casting director said, it's to the point that we can just mouth the words along with them. And she said, we just really want to see original stuff. So I thought, no problem. I'll just write some, some of my own stuff. Sure, I'll just write up little three-page audition scenes just to do in cold auditions. What Steve didn't realize at the time was that writing these little audition scripts were going to be the start of a new beginning that would eventually lead to a whole new career. 